mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers. Sean from Silicon Theory here, and this is Silicon Theory Radio. So I wanted to do a follow-up show, and for those of you that are fans of ours on Anchor, you'll have heard the first part of this. And quick plug, if you're not following us, following us on Anchor.fm, check it out. You can head on over to the internet site at Anchor.fm, or you can download the Anchor app for your favorite mobile platform, iOS and Android included. And uh, it's a great way to keep up with the show, and it is a very lightweight app, which also allows you access to a bunch of great other podcast content. So definitely head on over to your favorite uh, app store and check it out. Really what I wanted to talk about uh, this evening is the uh, embargo has been lifted, praise be, and we now have the actual reviews starting to trickle in for the Pixel 3 and Pixel 3 XL devices. This is great news for those of you that were interested in this mobile device or just interested in Google and Android devices in general because there's been a significant dearth of them lately and, well, I take that back. There hasn't been a significant dearth of phones. There's just been a significant dearth of good phones lately, let's say. We initially thought that 2018 was going to be an excellent year for smartphones, and in some ways it has been, and in many other ways it's been a colossal disappointment. So I, and no doubt many other pundits out there, have been seriously looking for Google to try and save us from the overall blandness and in some cases the downright downright awfulness of other smartphone OEMs. And Google kind of did. The fact that these devices had been leaked months and months ago doesn't take away from the fact that now they're finally here and we get a lot of people with a lot of time with them telling us what they think of these devices. And I'll save you the trouble. I literally read every smartphone review that I could find on the internet today and that included a really awful one from Ron over at Ars Technica and Ron, I know you're not listening to this podcast, but dude, seriously, go get a Coke, have a smile, and figure out how to have a better outlook on life, because if you approach everything the way that you approach the Pixel 3 and Pixel 3 XL reviews, I just feel terrible for you. But by and large, these reviews were glowingly positive, and if you spend any time on Reddit and the R Android or R Google Pixel subreddits, you know that pretty much everybody predicted that this is how it was going to go. But still, to see it in print and to watch it on video and to know that the vast majority of people who have spent any amount of time with these devices find them to be overwhelmingly positive is a great, great sign. There are some things that aren't fantastic. And are they perfect smartphones? No, absolutely not. Nor should they be. But that's another discussion for another time. What really matters is that Google got a lot of things right. In the 9 to 5 Google review, Stephen Hall points out that these are much more iterative designs, but much more refining, much more polished, much more mature. And I would tend to agree. 
In most of the other reviews, the hardware is praised as being premium, or at least premium feeling, and the devices have a good in-hand feel, which isn't to be understated or undersold, although more than likely the vast majority of folks would want to put these phones in a case anyways because they're all glass and are delicate and somewhat slippery. The other reviews from The Verge to um, Gizmodo to Android Centrals, which I just finished reading, were overwhelmingly praising of both the performance of the device as well as the camera. And these are, of course, two of the standout features. And honestly, they were always going to be standout features of any Google device because Google has spent a lot of time and a lot of effort refining the camera, refining the performance, and optimizing the performance to make sure that people get the most out of what their vision for Android should be. What was surprising was that the display technology apparently has come a very, very long way. Almost every review that I read said that the displays themselves were significant improvements over both the Pixel 2 and the Pixel 2 XL's displays. I don't think, if you're a long-time listener of the show or if you're just generally invested in the Android ecosystem, that I have to tell you about the dumpster fire that was the Pixel 2 XL display gate from last year. The Pixel 2's display by and large was fine. It was a Samsung made AMOLED panel and overall it was pretty good. The Pixel 2 XL panel was made by LG and was at best mediocre to good. Some people got downright not good at all panels and while Google seemed to uh, improve, let's say, improve question mark, the qualities of the panels that came off of later production runs of LG's OLED manufacturing facility, the very first and those that were acquired by reviewers and early adopters were not good at all. In fact, The Verge actually last year withdrew its scoring of the Pixel 2 XL until they could reasonably determine that the panel would not have the kind of burn-in issues that people were at first worried about. Now they subsequently gave the score back and Google did a lot of software mitigation to try and fix those things, but suffice it to say that the panels were a significant pain point and a significant point of concern for Google going forward. And it seems that by and large, they've resolved those issues. Everyone that I've read so far, and those that specifically had contact directly with the Google engineers, have indicated that the panels not only are of higher quality as a baseline, but also were individually calibrated, which makes a huge difference in terms of overall quality. That's very, very good. And it's also the kind of thing that Samsung and Apple does with their OLED panels to make sure that they're getting the best out of every possible inch of that display. And speaking of the displays, you can't get too much into a discussion of the displays of the Pixel 3 and the Pixel 3 XL without talking about the friggin' notch. Sean P and I are both on record as saying we hate it, we think there's no very reason for it to exist, but having said that, again, the vast majority of reviewers that have spent any significant amount of time with this device have said that the notch tends to recede into the background of your viewing experience and the quality of the panel simply takes over and gives you a very good and, turns out, very large at 6.3 inches display. The smaller Pixel 3 sports a 1080p panel, which, while it's not quite as good in terms of resolution, still, overall, appears to be an excellent panel and should provide those people who pick it up with a good viewing experience. 
major concerns with the panel stem only from its overall brightness at around 400 to 420 nits, but for all but the brightest sunlight outdoors, this should be more than enough for most people. I don't particularly care about low light performance in terms of brightness in dark situations, but if you are one of these people, the Pixel 3 and the Pixel 3 XL might be a tad too bright for your taste, but again, I think this is probably a fairly limited use case and the vast majority of people are really going to enjoy the quality of these displays and the way that Google has tuned them. Battery life seems to be adequate as well and downright good in some instances. The review that Kellen had over at Droid Life pointed specifically to somewhere between three and a half and four hours of screen on time, and I've read other reviews saying they got anywhere between three to as many as five hours of screen on time. That's normally the metric that's used to determine how long a battery will last in a device, and certainly, at least for my case, that's really, really good. What I'm getting right now on average for my Pixel 2 XL falls well within that range, and again, depending on whether or not you're using LTE, Wi-Fi, or some kind of mixture of both, I think that most people will probably find the battery life to be adequate, good, or very good, depending on how much you use it and the type of connection that you're using. So, in all of this good news, what's the bad news? Well, not much really, and most of it centers around the price. Again, as we mentioned in the preview podcast, the base model Pixel 3 starts at $799 and the 128GB SKU will run you $899. That at the base level is $150 more than last year's model is somewhat concerning. Now, having said that, of course, phone prices go up every year. There's not much any of us can do about that, so we'll just have to live with it. And if you're really invested in the Google ecosystem and you really want this device, you're going to have to bite the bullet and pay for it. Google does offer 0% financing, so it's basically the same deal that you'd get from your carrier, which is fine. It's not overwhelmingly bad, and it's not overwhelmingly good. Do I wish these phones were cheaper? Absolutely. Do I think that Google will get away with charging as much as they possibly can for it? Also, absolutely. Now, the Pixel 3 XL is a slightly more reasonable $899 to start, which again is the same as the top-end SKU of the littler Pixel 3, and goes up to $999 if you want the 128GB configuration. And again, for me, the notch is kind of a deal-breaker, so that's a major no-go. But they are a little bit more reasonably priced than their iPhone counterparts and certainly a little bit less expensive than the Galaxy Note 9, but again, the Note 9 is really kind of the premium end of this market and it includes pretty much everything under the sun for that $9.99 starting price, so hard to argue that. Definitely much more of an argument can be made that the Pixel 3 XL in the 128 gig SKU is not as much of a value as the Note 9. But if you're a Note fan, if you're a Samsung fan, if you're a Galaxy phone fan in general, you're probably not going to really consider the Pixel too much anyway. So that leaves us with who should buy these phones. And the general consensus seems to be pretty much anybody who wants the best Android experience you can find. There's a lot that can be made about Google's vision for Android, what Android is, what Android should be, and how it should perform in most circumstances. 
I think all of these reviewers, because they're not only Android enthusiasts, but technology enthusiasts in general, would, and have, at least to my reading, generally preferred the Google vision of Android. Kellen has outright said over at Droid Life that this is the only vision that he prefers, and OnePlus's Oxygen OS is the only thing that really comes close. Everything else is either garish, outdated, bloated, or some combination of all three. Android Central and Andrew Martinick over there basically tend to agree. His idea of what the pure Android version should be is basically what Google's offering us. Now, mind you, this is not stock Android. This is not what you could compile yourself from the Android open source project and slap onto any piece of blank hardware that you wanted. This is a finely tuned and finely optimized version of Android. The pixel version of Android, if you will. And I don't think that too many people would disagree that it's a good one. Now, whether or not you prefer the additional features that Samsung packs in, or if you prefer the format and way that LG packs in their features into their operating system and or their skin on top of the operating system, you can find people who support pretty much any OEM. But at its very base level, all of these phones are running Android, and what each manufacturer decides to put on top of that is up to them. Google is no different in this regard, but what they've decided to put on top of Android is more polish and more fluidity, and some additional features for those who are Pixel owners, whether it's the original Pixel line, the Pixel 2, or now in its third generation, the Pixel 3. And truthfully speaking, I also tend to agree with that point of view. I think you probably saw where this was going, but to me, Google's vision for Android is the one true vision for Android. And that doesn't mean that these other forks and these other builds shouldn't exist. Of course they should. It's diversity and changeable feature sets that bring innovation to the space, and that's good. It pushes Google, and it makes the end user's experience better in the end, and I wholeheartedly support that. But for me, what do I want? What do I support? What do I prefer in my mobile device experience? It's absolutely pixel or bust, baby. I proudly have my flair in our Android that I am a captain in the pixel army, and I'm not going to be an apologist about that. My preferences are my own, and I'm entitled to them, the same way that everybody else listening to this podcast is entitled to theirs. If you prefer the Pixel or you don't, I still think that the Pixel 3 and the Pixel 3 XL are excellent phones that are made for everyone, not just Pixel or Android enthusiasts anymore. The average iPhone user, the average Samsung Galaxy user could pick up a Pixel and find themselves in possession of an excellent device that I think would, to coin a phrase, just work for them. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. Remember, if you enjoy our content, you can favorite or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our written content over at silicontheory.com. Follow us on social if you're into that kind of thing. We are at Silicon Theory on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can check out our video content over at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Silicon Theory. Thanks again for listening. And remember, as always, we will talk tech soon.